listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well, please turn your Bibles tonight to the 39th Psalm, uh, the Psalm 39. We're continuing our series on these experiential Psalms, and these Psalms that really address very personal prayers. Uh, I've really restricted my studies to these prayers that include the word me, so some requests followed by the word me, and you'll see several here in the 39th Psalm. So the Psalm 39, it is the chief musician even to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. I said, I will take heed to my ways, and that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle, while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence, I held my peace, even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. My heart was hot within me, while I was musing, the fire burned, and then spake I with my tongue. Lord, make me to know mine end, and the measure of my days what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches, and knoweth not who shall gather them. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I was dumb. I opened not my mouth, because thou didst it. Remove thy stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, Thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity. Selah. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner, as all my fathers were. O spare me, that I may recover strength before I go hence and be no more. Amen. May God encourage our hearts in his word tonight. Uh, we often say the Psalms are so personal. What's happening here in this particular Psalm is the psalmist is suffering under the chastening love of God. The Lord loves him. He's a son of God and he's being chastened by his heavenly father. Verse number 11, When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. And then back into verse number 9, I was dumb, I opened not my mouth, because thou didst it. He acknowledged the sovereignty of God over his suffering. And yet he understands that this suffering is not without purpose. For whilst he sees God's sovereignty over suffering, he also understands God's intentionality in suffering. And the suffering is not purposeless. As he says, when thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity. There's a purpose 
in the hand of God in the midst of the psalmist's suffering. And yet his suffering is a very real experience. He feels the pain and the agony personally. Uh, this psalm, I believe, is always a word in season. For some, it may be a very personal word for the present time. For others, it is a word of preparation. But you will not live long in this world without encountering suffering. And you are not a child of God unless at times you suffer chastening. It's a mark of being a son of God. And those whom he loves, he chasteneth. And the psalmist, as he engages with his suffering, as he experiences suffering, is concerned about his sin. That's why I say this is a, another experiential psalm dealing with the subject of sin. He understands his sin as the cause of the chastening hand of God, but he's also concerned that he would sin under that chastening hand. He is burdened about sinning with his tongue. Verse number one. I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle. Here's a man aware of the danger of sin. Of course, the language makes us think much about James chapter 3, this idea of bridling our tongues, guarding our tongues. And that was in view here. He's experiencing suffering. Verse number 10, he's under the stroke of God, the hand of God. And I believe he is troubled with maintaining faith in the furnace of affliction. Will he keep on believing? Or will he fall into unbelief? Will he, to follow the example and the encouragement of Job's wife, will he curse God and die? Or will he keep on trusting the Lord in the midst of the experience? Uh, this is a very real danger and a real experience for the child of God. Look at the verses together. Verse number one again. Please note what a tender conscience he has here. I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. This is a, this is a man of God who understands his own heart. He doesn't want to sin. Now that is the heart of every child of God. Keep me from sin. I don't want to disobey the Lord's word. I don't want to shun the love of my Father. Keep me from sin. This is a description in the Old Testament of what we might call the circumspect believer. Someone walking down this world and conscious of falling to the right or the left and falling into a precipice of ruin and destruction. I'm going to take heed to my ways. There's not going to be a single step that I'm going to take without watching where my foot is landing. And I'm not going to open my mouth for fear that I may sin against God. I will keep my mouth with a bridle. You see there in the verse number nine, I was dumb, I opened not my mouth. That's referred to again, verse number two, I was dumb with silence, I held my peace. And for a time, the psalmist is so burdened about the possibility of a sin that he, he doesn't speak. He understands that God is the author of his afflictions. He understands that God is sovereign over his sufferings. And so he's conscious of not sinning against God. Especially given the fact in verse number one that the wicked is before him. Do you ever think of that? When you find yourself discussing your life with the unbeliever, 
And what you're doing is grumbling and complaining and you have all of these bitter thoughts against God and you pour them out before the unbeliever. What are you doing there? You're, you're giving a bad testimony to the grace of God, the love of God. You're bringing reproach upon the name of God. He's conscious of the believer's presence. Spurgeon has an interesting illustration regarding this matter. And he says, almost like this matter of sin in his tongue, this danger of unbelief, it's like a fever, it's like a contagion. You don't want to spread it. Because he's struggling with unbelief. He is really wanting to make sure I don't spread this to others. I'm, I have my own battles here. But I don't want to encourage the unbeliever in their continued unbelief. But as he holds his peace, then his soul is increasingly stirred up. Verse 2, my sorrow was stirred. My heart was hot within me. There is friction here. This turmoil in his inner man. And as the turmoil of his inner man, so it provokes intense mental heat. It's volcanic-like. That was my thought when I read the, the verse. I thought, this is like a volcano about to explode. Uh, and Spurgeon used the same analogy in his comments on verse number three. There's a heat rising, simmering, and then it bursts out. That's what happens. Like the secular psychologists, they refer to as internalization. And they refer to the negative impact of internalizing your feelings. Uh, it's good to share how you feel. But of course, the psalmist's concern here is not to share how he feels with other people, but rather it is to turn to the Lord. He gets to the point that he's got to this point in his life, his sorrow is stirred up. And then verse number four, Lord, Lord. All of the internal struggles, it bursts out in prayer to the Lord. I'm not suggesting it's necessarily wrong. In fact, it can be helpful to share our troubles with other believers who are sensitive and compassionate and can give us good counsel. But here, what you're seeing is the heat rising in his soul and bursting out in prayer. We sang the hymn, Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. The pain within our souls. The volcanic activity within our hearts as we suppress how we feel and don't get before God in prayer. And so in the agony of heart, we find him turning to the Lord. And the first thing we see is that he gives confession of his submission to the Lord. Look at verse number 7. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. Here's a confession of a submission before God, even in the midst of his sufferings. Verse number 9 also, because thou didst it. He acknowledges God's sovereignty over his suffering. But this, this confession of submission, it comes, yes, in verse 7 and in verse 9, but it arises out of those things from verse 4 and following. Two things. He understands the frailty of life, and he understands the futility of life. First of all, he sees frailty. Verse number four. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Some have thought this prayer 
Make me to know mine end is a prayer akin to Elijah's prayer. Remember Elijah, he's getting chased by Jezebel and he, he really asks to die. I'm no better than my father's, just let me die. And some say, well, that's what the psalmist is doing here. But that doesn't square with the context. He's asking that I may know how frail I am. And then he, he gives the lessons. Thou hast made my days a handbreadth, mine age is as nothing before these. He's commenting on the brevity and the frailty of life. And he wants to understand that. He wants to understand how short his life is. Frailty. That I may know how frail I am. That word frail, we, we talk of frailty in terms of uh, perhaps a very aged person who is physically very frail. What's in view in the Hebrew here is of something that is very fleeting, very transient. It's fastly disappearing. Life is short. The S, that means that suffering is brief. It's good to understand how short life is when you're experiencing suffering. Paul talks about a momentary light affliction. Though you may suffer all your days here, it is but a moment in comparison to eternity. Make me understand. Make me know mine end. The measure, the length of my days, it's so short, it's so frail. So therefore, my hope is in thee. For eternity is found with the Lord. He also understands that, well, his opportunity for service is limited. Your life is so brief. Young people, your lives are so brief. Don't waste a second on things that do not matter. Give yourselves fully, even as you labor in the secular sphere. Do it unto the Lord. Do it for His glory. Do it for His praise. Time for service is so brief. Do all for the glory of God. He understands frailty. And he understands futility. Verse number six. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. He said in verse number five, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. That takes us, of course, to Ecclesiastes. The vanity, the emptiness, the meaninglessness of life at times, the futility of this world. The best summary of verse number six I found in, uh, in Treasury of David in the comments of a Mr. Rogers he comments on the Trinity. This world's Trinity consists in fruitless honors, in needless cares, and in useless riches. It's a great commentary. Note the fruitless honors. Verse 6, Surely every man walketh in a vain show. They walk to get the praise of men, the honors of men. And what appears to be substantial honors and respect, they're all but a vain show. You can know the praise of man for five seconds and it's gone. It's gone in the blink of an eye. Fruitless honors, needless cares. Verse number six again. Surely they are disquieted in vain. Here's the anxious soul for no purpose. Anxiety is completely and utterly pointless. It doesn't change anything. All it does is cause you turmoil and pain. They are disquieted in vain. Imaginary cares dominate people's hearts and lives. Useless riches. Verse number six again. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. All this money. And you take none of it with you. They yield no lasting satisfaction in themselves. Nor do they provide anything really for others. And so in light of frailty, 
and futility. The only suitable response is in verse number 7. It is to hope in the Lord. It is to exercise faith. Because faith believes that God is and believes that God is the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. So faith wrestles with frailty and wrestles with futility and looks beyond to eternity. When we see man's frailty and this world's futility, it ought to lead us to the Lord. That's where we ought to go. In that experience, it ought to turn us from to, to God's. God is the very opposite of frailty and futility. God's sovereignty is seen in this. Because thou didst it. God is the opposite of frailty. He is of omnipotent glory. His power is inexhaustible. He is in no ways frail. Not in strength, nor in time. He is not fleeting. And he can never fail to accomplish his will. God is not frail, and he does nothing that is futile. All that God does, he does in infinite wisdom. So when you understand frailty, and when you understand futility, you look to the Lord, because he is the answer to this world's troubles. Or frailty, this world's futility, they are dealt with when we put our trust in the Lord. The psalmist shows that. And now, Lord, verse 7, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. My hope is in thee. And in light of that, as he confesses his submission to God, he then turns and continues to pray to God. And so in the second place, having seen his confession of his submission, note his complaint about his suffering. Verse number 10. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. Sometimes, in experience of affliction, the believer may feel it is honoring to deny the pain. They don't want to appear that they have a discontented spirit. And so they are not honest before God or man. They suppress their genuine experience out of misguided fear that they would betray a heart that doesn't trust the Lord. It is not inconsistent to trust God. And to be open and honest as to the depth of the pain and suffering we're experiencing. The psalmist says, I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. Could you imagine what might happen the Lord's Day morning if someone comes to you and says, I believe I'm being consumed by the blow of God's hand? Now that may that may be a spirit that does not trust the Lord. It may be a bitter spirit. But it may be someone simply being honest as they go before God and say, my hope is in you, but I feel I am consumed by the blow of your hand. The language is very, very profound. It's taken to the comparison with what happens to beauty and the moth that eats away at clothing so there is nothing left. 
That beautiful garment is eaten away. This is a profound sense of suffering. Losing this world's goods, physical burdens, like Job losing his health, financial ruin, some of these things that come as blows from God's hand. And such, such a complaint of consumption is accompanied by crying. He refers to that, doesn't he? His tears. He doesn't want the Lord to ignore that. Verse number 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears. It's not ungodly to weep in the presence of God. Grief is truly felt. And the believer brings their tears before God. In the Psalm 6 speaks in similar language, I am weary with my groaning. All the night I make my bed to swim, my water, my couch with my tears. And the tears of the distressed believer, I believe, are stored by God. It says in verse number 8 of the Psalm 56, Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle, are they not in thy book? God is not unmindful of our suffering. What do you think it means when it says Christ is touched with a feeling of our infirmities? It means at least in part that he marks our tears, he sees our tears. He knows those tears that are felt in profound times of suffering. And so in this experiential psalm, yes, he submits to God's will, but he also brings his honest complaint before God of his suffering. Which leads to the final thing to note, and that is that he calls upon God in his supplications. There are several supplications. And note here, I want to highlight three. Before I get there, please note the lead from the verse number 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Here, here is this burden, what he's prayed already, what he's going to pray in a minute or two. Hear my prayer. Hold not thy peace at my tears, for I'm a stranger with thee and a sojourner as all my fathers were. He understands that his time on this earth is as a stranger and as a pilgrim. This language that's used by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, where it refers to himself, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. This is the experience, the suffering experience of the child of God in this world. It's painful to live in a foreign land. Sin woos us. The pain of sin's temptations, how it woos our souls, and we feel that. Sinners will wound us. Sickness will weary us. These are the things that are encountered by the stranger and the pilgrim. David knows he's walking in the path his father's walked. And so out of that he says in verse number in verse number eight, Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me holy. That's his first prayer. Make me holy. Deliver me from sin. He's more concerned with being rid of his sin than being rid of his sorrows. He's also concerned about his sorrows. We're going to see that. But his first priority is that he be rid of his sin. 
Many will pray for ease, but they will not pray the same for holiness. Deliver me from my transgressions, from all of them. No part of my life untouched has been here before. Search me. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Deliver me from all my transgressions. May that be a daily prayer, a continual prayer of our souls. Lord, make me as holy as a saved sinner can be. Make me holy. Secondly, show me mercy. He does pray this verse number 13. Oh, spare me. He asks for the stroke to be removed. Verse number 10. But only after sin's dealt with. Once the sin problem's dealt with, then remove the stroke. And the child of God ought to have that spirit. That the stroke would not be taken off until the heart is dealt with. That whatever is required to make us like Christ, let it be so. As he says in verse number 9, because thou didst it. And so because God has brought the stroke, it is God alone who will take the stroke away. And so he does pray. Lord, you've exposed my heart. It's good for me to be afflicted. I may keep thy law. But now, Lord, remove thy stroke away from me. Make me holy. Show me mercy. And grant me strength, verse number eight, sorry, verse number thirteen. Oh, spare me that I may recover strength. He knows his frailty, he knows his weakness, and he prays for strength to go on until he is no more. It's this sense of dependence upon the Lord. Spare the rods so that I may recover my strength. There are times in our Christian lives that we get to the point that we have and we feel we have no more strength. And we get to the Lord in our frailty, in our weakness. It is God who is able to give us strength. He will not test us more than we can bear. Christ is our hope and he is our strength. We have strength through his work on our behalf. All of these prayers they are blood-sprinkled prayers. Make me holy, show me mercy, give me strength. And I do trust that if this is your life now, you can go back and you can pray through this psalm personally. And that your eyes will center upon the center of the psalm. My hope is in thee. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.